This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 33. Grant Paulson, Danny Ruye, and producer Garris Dameron. So let's start with Cade Cavalli's debut. No bones about it. It was disappointing for sure. Uh, but probably not as bad as the line would indicate if you actually watch the game. And let's get through some of the specifics of why this went down the way it did. He went four and one-third innings, gave up six hits, and seven runs earned. He threw 99 pitches and didn't get out of the fifth inning in Cade Cavalli's Major League debut. So a couple of things I would say. Touch 98. I kind of thought, just because he'd be extra jacked up, he would throw a little bit harder than that, but he was having such a hard time gripping the baseball. He was so sweaty. Didn't really have control. Hit a couple batters early that maybe he he backed it down a little bit from a velocity standpoint. So he was mostly 96, 97, touching 98. And the control and the command obviously eluded him. Just wasn't there. I'm not sure I've ever seen anyone look sweatier. And maybe that was part of it, but I was sitting real close down low behind the screen. And just about every other pitch, he would bend down and not even use the rosin bag but literally wipe his entire hand in the dirt just trying to get some type of grip. And uh, talking to a couple people with the Nationals after the game, they said that he just couldn't grip the baseball. So it's a big problem for him. He's got to figure that out at the major league level. Four and a third, six hits, seven runs earned for Cavalli in that first start. This was, I don't want to say typical, but this was something that you might expect to see for a guy that you know, doesn't quite have the polish yet. And the Nationals kept him down in the minor leagues because of that. You and I made the point, I think you even more strongly than me, that so what? He, he's going to experience some adversity. Good. That's kind of what I say for a team. Now, if you're trying to win the division, if you're chasing the Mets or looking for a wild card spot, hey, we probably don't have time for this, but we got plenty of time. We got plenty of time for Cade Cavalli to work the kinks out for somebody that's, you know, dominated here over the last couple of months in, in AAA. But he struggled at times. You could see it. You could also see the good, though. You could see some of the swing and miss on that hammer curveball. I, I knew it was good. The couple he threw that were really good that you know started off probably belt high or maybe even higher in the hitter's eyes that spiked down, you know, maybe shin high that uh, you know Ruiz was almost having to go to a, go to a knee to block it. Filthy. You saw the the riding fastball. You saw some of the good, but you also saw that even at this level, even as a team as bad as the Reds could still hammer you when you make a mistake or two. Yeah, and I think one of the takeaways that you saw from people after the game was he's not ready. 
He's not ready for the big leagues or they shouldn't have called him up or whatever. And I just couldn't disagree with that more. Number one, the idea of readiness, I think, in and of itself is probably flawed. In other words, like these types of starts will happen for a young pitcher. Maybe not your first outing, maybe your third or your fifth or your eighth or your 11th. Generally, the elite pitchers in the game don't have starts like this. Your Scherzers and your DeGroms and the best pitchers in baseball like Sandy Alcantara with the Marlins or Shane McClanahan with Tampa Bay or Justin Verlander in Houston. But young pitchers have these starts all the time in their second year and their third year, particularly if they're just kind of okay. You know, you can find a, a Eric Fetty line from this season where he went four and a third with six hits and seven runs, and it doesn't mean that he's not major league ready. <laughs> you can find plenty of Patrick Corbin, who's been in the big leagues for years and is a major league starter, not a particularly good one. Lines like this. So this idea of readiness is something people judge based on how many starts someone has in their career, when in actuality, it's it's just kind of what happened. Uh, I'll give you an example. A couple of starts ago in AAA, he went seven innings and struck out 11. Mm -hmm. I think he gave up like three hits and a run or something like that. If he throws the way he threw that night in his debut, it's probably not going to be an identical line because clearly the Reds lineup is better than the AAA lineup he faced. Although that's a damn good AAA lineup. That was a Norfolk Tides. That was the Orioles 3A affiliate with the best prospect in the game in Gunnar Henderson and a good shortstop of the future, 20 homers, 80 RBI in Jordan Westberg. But I digress. If he throws that exact way, he locates, he's got his command, that kind of stuff, he controls the ball, he's comfortable, that's a six-inning quality start with eight or so nine strikeouts at the big league level. Like That's what that is. He didn't have that stuff, that command, that control in his first start, and it might have been nerves, I mean, frankly, right? You're going to not be the best version of yourself. Ideally, it's Strasburg, and you go seven innings, 14 Ks, and you just light the world on fire. That's rare. But if he was to have this outing, five times, uh -huh. then let's have a conversation about whether or not he is ready for the major leagues. My guess is it's not going to happen that way because the stuff's outstanding because the fastball's 97 and I think plays, you saw a lot of weak contact and jamage and little ground balls that were foul tricklers into the coach's box. Uh, he had, as you said, breaking pitches and movement. He threw a handful of change-ups as well, which was one of the reasons they kept him down to make sure that he would have a feel for that pitch. Uh, and I actually thought, you know, he, he maybe could have gone to it more. I think he got a couple swings and misses on three swings on the changeup in the game. But am I disappointed by the result? Of course, we all sure. should be. We went to the game. We were jacked up. He got barreled a couple balls into the gap, one hop in the fence. Yeah, he got hit around. I mean, th that is going to happen. Do I feel any differently at all about the player? Absolutely not. Like, not even a little bit. And I still wish that he got called up six weeks ago because then you wouldn't have seen that. The other night, you ideally would have seen it six weeks earlier. Like I view this as kind of part of the process, inevitably, and, and probably just something that is going to happen for a young starter. So I kind of thought of it as get it out of the way. Like I was texting with someone with the organization, and I said, hey, what would you think? And they're like, yeah, obviously, look, disappointing. They said it's out of the way, can't wait for his next start, and hopefully he's comfortable. And they were kind of concerned with just his inability to grip the ball and why that was so weird for him. Or they said, hopefully, you know, whether it's sweat or whatever it was, he can figure that out before his next start. Because he's going to have to. I mean, it's yeah. going to be hot. It's a day game. He's pitching now on Thursday, I think, the 405 game against the A's. So it's, it's going to be sticky. I mean, it'll be a pretty gross day. But he's got to iron that part out because clearly he was bothered. And you see this sometimes with, like, guys, maybe it's their footing where they're, like, kicking around the dirt in front of them, and every time they land, it's on their mind. 
and you fixate on it. And I think he started to like fixate on the idea that he just couldn't grip the baseball. So I, I love your point about readiness being relative, and, and I want to jump on that for a second. So it, it's all it's not a race, right? Everybody's got their own timeline when it, when it comes to being a major league baseball player, right? It's it's you know some guys can walk up as 18, 19, 20 year olds and do ridiculous things. See Juan Soto, see A Rod, see Bryce Harper. Other guys get to the major league, struggle, have to get sent down. See Mike Trout, but they turn out okay. As I said, it's not linear. It's not one-to-one. It's not, well, this guy got called up at 20, so anyone who doesn't sucks. It's not the way of things. But readiness, to me, can 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 all be organizational dependent. It can be player dependent. And here's what I mean. They didn't care if Yoan Adone was ready. When they called him up to the big leagues to be a sacrificial lamb, to, to get through a few innings, lose a million games, and have an ERA of a touchdown plus. They didn't care if he was ready or not. They just He can handle the adversity. You throw him out there. For somebody like Cavalli, they know the person obviously better than you and I do. I, I've you know I've never spoken to the young man, but maybe they're thinking he yeah, needs to have had him on the show. Well, yeah, I, I, I guess got we him did. on the day after he was drafted. Yeah, never mind. We did talk to and him, and we had him on last year in the minors. But that's so. Not let important. me let me say let me try that again. We've talked to him a couple times. I've talked to him a couple times. <laughs> you know you're him to- so well. You're totally right. We're best friends. We went out to uh, went out to a steak dinner the other night. Anyway, but. You know, so they when they say he's not ready, does that mean he's not ready to deal with the adversity that's inevitably coming? Does that mean he's not ready to to dominate when he gets up here? All the philosophies are, are relative. My frustration is I understand if you're in a pennant race. I get it. You don't want you don't want your prize possession to come up and experience failure. Then where are we? Have you stunted his development, et cetera, et cetera? These are the times to work out the kinks. Because I tell you what, he could pitch great, and he could have been the 42nd pitcher to not get a win because the Washington Nationals don't let their pitchers get wins because of everything from defense to bad hitting to bullpen blowing it to whatever. And it would have been lost in the sauce of 112 to 115, 116 lost team. And it wouldn't have mattered that badly. But for me, if a guy demonstrates enough down on the farm to say, I'm, I, I, a, I have the aptitude and the ability to, to be able to do some successful things at the major league level, whether that's hitting, defense, pitching, et cetera, and I can deal with the setbacks that are coming, then he is ready. And, and I felt like from afar, he's been ready for some time. So the, there's another element of this start, too, that I want to get into. I wanted to first address that it was disappointing and, and talk about some of what went wrong because I know that people can't wait to say, oh, you're being a homer. Or you're None of that matters. The results matter. Cool, whatever. I'm just going to just provide... A little bit more context. If you watched the start, which I've you know talked with a couple of people, and they're like, man, he really stunk, huh? And I said, well, did you watch the game? They're like, no, I didn't get to. Okay, we'll settle down a little bit mm-hmm. then with your critique. However, if you watched the start, this could have gone very different. Like, even if he's hitting the batters and he's not throwing the, uh, the ball where he wants to occasionally, and all the stuff happens exactly the same. Just as an example, just to give you actual hard and fast numbers before I make my anecdotal point. His ERA after one start, and these numbers don't matter. I'm just going to make a case. His ERA after his outing is 14.5, right? Because yep. he gave up a bunch of runs. Mm-hmm. His expected ERA, which takes into account how hard balls were hit, you know where you normally get outs versus where you don't, his expected ERA is 3.87, which just speaks to there was some weak contact that beat him. There were some things that didn't go his way. His expected slug, 311, way lower than the actual slug. Now, there were a couple of balls that were barreled into the gap. Absolutely. Extra base hits against everyone. I'm not saying that they weren't. But a couple things happened in that start that if you didn't watch the start, you don't know. There was a 100% slam dunk double play ball when he had runners on base that Luis Garcia fielded, threw wide to the second base bag, and cost him an out 
because it was a terrible throw to C.J. Abrams to pull him off the bag. Now, Abrams tried to make an athletic or an acrobatic throw to get a runner at first after the fact. But it should have been a double play. It should have been two outs. And instead, it's not. Because Luis Garcia, who we're hoping can play second, because he can't play short, made a bad defensive play. That was an out. Should have been two outs that Cade Cavalli didn't get. Okay? There was another moment in that same sequence. It was either right after, I think it was right after that, where a ball was hit right back up the box in the infield. Not scorched, but hit okay. Mm-hmm. And Cavalli got his glove down on it and redirected the ball. It was a routine 4-6-3 double play. I was at the game. I wasn't watching on TV. But Luis Garcia, assuming he wouldn't have botched the play and thrown it into the outfield, which I guess we can't assume. I was going to say, get it with him. <laughs> but he's positioned for yes. a ground ball, like dropping down to a knee to field it to flip to Abrams for a tailor-made double play. It redirects off of Cavalli's glove. He then has to move away from the bag to his left and field it, and there's no play to be made anywhere. So you're talking about if that glove, the webbing of his glove doesn't touch the ball, it's a double play. If Luis Garcia, who fielded a fairly routine ball, as I mentioned earlier in that inning or in that sequence, fields the ball, makes the throw to second accurately, it's a double play. Those are outs that he didn't get. Then on a normal day, very easily, those are just outs. And so that is baked into this equation where people will not notice that. On top of that, he's charged with seven runs because that's how it works. Four runs scored when he was in the game. Erasmo Ramirez promptly came in and gave up a three-run extra base hit. So those runs all get charged to Cade Cavalli. So it's just different, in my opinion. You know, they should be charged to you. Those yes. guys are on base because of you. Mm-hmm. I understand how ERA works. But my point is, when you look at the line and you go, oh, my God, he gave up seven runs. Well, kind of. He gave up four runs. Then in an inning where he had two double play balls that didn't turn into double plays, he left with the bases loaded with no one having scored yet after a little bit of weak contact and some bad luck. Ramirez comes in and gives up a rocket. And it's three more in runs on his ledger. So you can call those excuses if you want to. It's it's just information. It's just kind of what happened. But that's all part of the start. So was it good? No. Was it bad? I'd say yes. It was disappointing. It was it was a bad start, probably by his standards. But I also think with a little bit of luck or just things happening how they normally do, it would have looked very, very different. I think it's well like said. If, if he pitched four and a third and it was four Ernie's, because Ramirez comes in and he gets a, a pop out and a fly out to left. It's kind of a different conversation today than if he gives seven runs. On top of that, if the, the ground ball double plays happen, he probably went five innings, and his day was done five innings, four runs. Ramirez didn't have to strand anybody. So it, it's not like this guy got rocked and he, everything was getting clubbed and he was out of the game in the second inning. That's just not what happened. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The one of the main things that I look at when I'm judging a pitcher statistically, right? If I can't watch every pitch of every start is whip is walks and hits per innings pitched, right? Because it's a process thing. So for years, the guy that was the king of this was Gio Gonzalez. Even when his whip was bad at the start of a season, he would be pitching, you know, the the ERA was fine and some of the strikeout numbers would be fine. And he'd bull his neck with runners on second and third that he'd walked and then wild pitched in a scoring position, come up with a couple punch outs and get away with it. And we're kind of like, 
at the time, talking about it to, to on the radio and Grant and Danny and um, anywhere else, you can't live like this all the time. Because sometimes that, that ground ball is a seeing eye ground ball. Sometimes it's a duck snort. Sometimes somebody guesses right and barrels one up. It's a process thing. The process part of this, Kate Cavalli put himself, in my opinion, in positions to have some bad luck. To your point, a couple of those balls should have been double play balls. He doesn't touch that uh, the ball that he deflected. It probably is a double play ball. But he hit three guys, walked two others. There's your story to me. Right, yeah. it's, it's the stuff that's process controlled wise. It's not automatic that they score. You'll probably have another start somewhere along the line, maybe even this year, where you put two, three, four, five guys on base and get away with it because your stuff is excellent. So, and the walks bother me more than the hit batsmen. Clearly, mm-hmm. the walks you're talking about missing four times. Yep. Where like one of the and I, I we could go back through all of them, but I know one of the hit batsmen was with two strikes in the first inning. Where yep. I think it was o two one two, and he like you know that could be the, maybe he was doing a Strasburg arm shake bit, but like. He kind of is looking at his hand like, what the hell, man? I can't mm-hmm. grip the ball. Now, maybe it was just a reaction and he was making an excuse. I don't know. But, yeah, your point is it's true. You have five guys who didn't get a hit who got on base. Right. That's not okay. Right. And, and that's – and you know, but you can get away with it sometimes. This is one where he clearly didn't. And yes. I think you, you laid it out very well. I think it was, by the way. Jonathan Indy, I think it was a one-two count where that breaking ball, he just tried to overcook it, throw a great one, ended up being a terrible one, right? Which, again, happens at this level. It's a – there's a million different – things circling at, at this point, right? Where is my, you know, confidence-wise, is my stuff good enough to do this? Do I have to throw a perfect pitch? Because this is a, a major league hitter that has great highlights where he hits home runs and pimps them, and do I have to be this and that? And it's really hard to just relax and be you, and then you add in this, oh my God, I'm sweating so much, and now you're thinking about sweating, so that means you're probably not going to stop sweating as you're thinking about sweating, and I can't get a grip, and, you know, it all kind of snowballs. I'm just glad that it's out of the way. Yes. Now you... Let's see what happens against the A's. I mean, if he goes four innings, nine hits, eight runs against the A's, okay, now let's figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And if he's doing it and the ball's slipping out of his hand again, then they got to figure out another way to get him a better grip. Or he's, you know, you're not allowed to use anything now on your hand, but they got to figure something out. But if it's just that you're getting rocked in the strike zone, a la Lucas Giolito back in the day, yep. that's a whole different ball game. But I would really be surprised if that consistently is the case because his stuff is so good. And I was going to say the stuff plays. Here, that's what I'm looking for at, at this point. And, and we talk, I talked about this when I did the a little 15-minute Kate Cavalli preview here on, on Friday, not knowing what was going to happen. Obviously, now we have the, 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 um, the benefit of hindsight, and we saw what we saw. But to me, I'm just looking for the thing. When I, when I see a prospect, when I see somebody come up, whether it's in baseball, football, basketball, whatever it is, right? The, the analogy I used was uh, I'm, I'm a, I love basketball, so I'm a Wizards fan. When they drafted Corey Kispert, what is Corey Kispert known for? Shooting the basketball. I just want to see that dude knock down threes, right? The rest of his game may come along, maybe it doesn't. When I see a a quarterback with a cannon for an arm, what do I want to see? I want to see the damn arm. I want to see him do the thing. The receiver that that makes great plays after the catch, I want to see it. Whatever it is, I want to see it. With Cavalli, to me, it was the stuff. I'll worry about refining a a 21-year-old, and I'll worry about, you know, maybe him learning to add and subtract and take some things off and, you know, pitchability here and there. I just wanted to see the stuff. And I tell you what, I saw it. And I know it, it to some it may sound like loser talk for a guy that got, you know, had quote unquote a bad out and gave up seven runs to a bad team like the like the like the Reds. I saw the thing that I tuned in to see. I saw him strike hitters out. I saw guys look foolish on a couple of his breaking pitches and be behind his fastball. I saw a changeup that clearly is better than it was six months ago. Well, the change to me, up I'm happy. Really surprised. Yeah. He threw 13 changeups at about 87 miles an hour. And I, I'd almost like some some more variation between the fastball and the change because his average fastball was 95.6, right around 96 miles an hour. 
which was actually lower than I think maybe it'll be as the year goes on. Again, I think you start hitting guys and you're all over the place, you might start aiming a little yeah, you're bit. Right? Darts a little bit, yeah. Yeah, you're, you just start making sure, okay, I don't need to throw 99. Let's let's go 94, 95 if need be and, and get it over the plate. But the changeup, 13 times in less than 100 pitches surprised me. He ended up with 42 fastballs. I think two of them were listed as two-seamers, and I always wonder when it's only two pitches they're saying are different, if that's the case. But the, the inches of drop and some of the, the inches of break horizontally are different enough that you know maybe he did throw a couple of uh, two-seamers and then 44-seamers. But then he's got 33 curveballs, 13 change-ups, and 11 sliders. So... You know, you start to to break down the percentages of, of how often he's throwing things, and I mean, he really filled up the the pie, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so that was good to see. The average velocity being around ninety six tells you everything you need to know. You know, even though it was down from what he's been in the minor leagues for much of this year, it's firmer than any fastball anybody's thrown in your rotation. You know, so he's got plenty of velocity, obviously. Um, and the movement, as as we talked about, was good. But he'll just. He'll just have to get a little bit more comfortable, and, and I'm really, really curious to see what Thursday looks like against the Me A's. Too. Because it sounds like, so that's six days after his first start, right? It was Friday night. Uh-huh. So what they're doing is he's on a six-day plan, which makes sense because you save some innings that way and some bullets. And then they're going to have Josiah Gray skip his start altogether this time around. Mm-hmm. And so that's how they're going to cut down on his innings in his first full season. And I'll bet you they'll skip him one more time later in the season. So that's, you know, basically not only two starts that he won't make, but it just spreads those out. So he might have three or four starts left instead of five or six. And then you have what is effectively a six-man rotation, adding Cavalli into this thing now, which is a good way at 24 years old to control this so that next year he's in the rotation at the beginning of the year. And hopefully they get a start or two out of Mackenzie Gore coming up. I mean, that's the that's yeah. the hope here. Like, this is a quick turnaround, potentially. If Gore's awesome, if Cavalli turns into what we think he can, if Gray's really good, you're going to compete pretty quickly, a la the Atlanta Braves over the last few years, because you had Max Freed and you had Mike Soroka before he got hurt and you know uh, Ian Anderson, who regressed this year and got sent down. But, like, those arms keep you afloat. They mm-hmm. keep you competitive, and you can kind of supplement and add to that. Also be realistic. Like, Make sure that you, you understand who Cavalli is, what Cavalli is. All prospects are not made the same. Like, he is better than Eric Fetty. I heard someone be, say something like, yeah, we heard Fetty was going to be the man, and, and look at him. No one ever thought Eric Fetty was going to be as good as what Cade Cavalli is supposed to be. They're not the same guy. At the same time, this is not Steven Strasburg, okay? This is not an ace who's going to be a Cy Young winner, in my opinion. This is a probably a number two type at worst, maybe a number three-ish starter if he's never pitch efficient or economical. Maybe he ends up a four. But we're talking about a big league legitimate stud, potentially, in the middle of your rotation, a la Gray, a la Green. Uh, Excuse me, a la um, Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore. But don't be upset. Like People are like, well, Eric Fetty. No, Eric Fetty was supposed to be a back-of-the-rotation starter. That's what people kind of always thought he was going to be. I know he was drafted in in round one at a UNLV, but the stuff is not Cavalli stuff. Like You can see that if you watch the games. It's just different. But this guy's not Strauss. So don't think that a two-time Cy Young Award winner just got to Nats Park. He's going to be good. Hopefully he'll be at me an all-star at some point, have a great first half. He's going to be a really good starting pitcher. That's the hope. What did you make of his slider? It's the only pitch we haven't really talked about. I, I was impressed. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I, I thought his curveball 
when right. Obviously, he hit a couple guys with it, but when he was throwing it in the right way, guys couldn't pick it up real well. It, really good 12 to 6 action spike. I love the changeup. Again, that was the one that they apparently they wanted him to spend some more time developing in, in the minor leagues. I thought it played. He turned it over a little bit. You could see him pronate on, on his delivery to get a little bit. Not You don't quite get Strasburg split action with that changeup, but you had some diving down. I thought that was impressive. You could see the riding fastball. What would you make of his slider? Only pitch we haven't talked about. Yeah, um, so I, I got to repeat again I was there. So it was hard for me to have like a really good breakdown of like pitch by pitch, what kind of swings, how comfortable hitters looked. Because I was at the ballpark mm-hmm. moving around, trying to get pictures and everything. Um, I did notice, I thought, that he he didn't have the feel for the slider, I didn't think, that he did the other stuff. Like, he missed the strike zone a bunch. Yep. And the slider, to me, when he did throw it for stri- strikes, was up in the zone. There were a couple that maybe didn't slide the way he wanted. I mean, he clearly felt a lot better about the curveball, and it was a better pitch. He threw it three times as much as he did his slider. Uh-huh. But I, I just thought, in general, like that was the fourth pitch on that night. And I don't know that that'll always be the case, but I thought his fastball, curveball, and changeup were better than the sliders that I saw. He, I think he did get a punch out. He had some, he did okay things with that, but um, you know, there, I think there's a reason he threw it the least. He probably just didn't have a good feel. For yeah, it. I think it's a feel thing, right? I mean, you think of Josiah Gray too at times, right? That's what it reminded me of. Was some days it's that curveball, other days it's the slider, and sometimes they sort of you know meld together and it becomes this hybrid, slurvy, nasty, hard breaking ball thing. But it's it's tough to maintain the feel for both of those things. So that was that was my thought as well. I mean, just the, the scouting report that I read, again, I haven't seen him pitch a ton because he's been on the farm for the most part, was that slider plays a little bit more like a cutter. Um, so it's not going to be a, as big of a break. It's going to be kind of, you know, the dart and fastball with a little bit of, um, you know, kind of fade more so than it is one of those off-the-table type sliders. But that curveball spikes so much that it's good to give a different look. It's To me, that slider could be – remember when Strasburg was throwing a slider and it led to some of the elbow difficulties and he, he pretty much shelved it? But remember that pitch and kind of like what Scherzer did to develop that cutter to get into that dead zone for lefties, right? Right under the hands. They think they've got something, and then all of a sudden it goes where their bat can't because that's not how their swings operate. That's where I think it could be really handy, maybe less so to right-handers. But just my, that was my opening thought. Well, the slider was the only pitch he didn't get any swings and misses on, by the way. I'm mm. just pulling up now the numbers on Savant. So he got five swings and misses on his four-seamer, six out of 15 swings on his curveball. I'm telling you. 40% of the time when you swung, you swung and missed. I mentioned this earlier, but he got two swings and misses on three swings against his changeup, which is really, really good sign. He threw a, uh, 13 of those pitches, and uh, three times he got a batter to offer, and twice they swung and missed. That swing and miss percentage is kind of a, a fun stat to track. But all five of the swings on his slider were – contact mm-hmm. and four of those were fouled off one was put in play so th- when i see that it tells me if you can kind of spoil that that you're throwing a breaking pitch you're trying to miss a bat generally speaking right yep. or it's a get me over if it's a get me over then you, and, yeah and some of those counts got extended on sliders that mm-hmm. caught a lot of the plate or that were hittable where you were able to spoil it and get to something else you wanted to see so i, I don't like seeing that 80% of the swings were foul balls but I, i'm not ready to say that you know, that, that that tells the story of the pitch. I mean, sometimes that's game to game. Uh, but specific to his start on Friday and the debut, you know, obviously he didn't get the results with that pitch uh, that he would have wanted. Anything else on Cavalli before we move forward? No, just the final thing, just to, to summarize, I, I'm going to, I'm given a wide berth here, right? This is a bad team where a guy that probably wouldn't be up in the show if they were competing for anything. This is sort of where we are. 
I am not going to judge results here for a while. I'm looking for the good. I'm looking for the things to build on, okay? So there's going to be more adversity. It's probably coming as soon as Thursday. Hopefully he's better, but this could be, you know, I don't want people to feel let down if it doesn't go great here for the first couple of weeks, month, whatever. This is what happened to him last year. He gets called to the AAA, has an ERA in the mid-sevens, starts off at that level this year, got hit around a little bit, figures it out. The guy will figure it out. I, I'm a, still a strong believer in Cavalli. A couple bad outings here or there shouldn't dissuade us from that. See you later. All right, let's go down a level. I want to talk about Yarlin Susana because we have not talked about him since I went and saw him in Fredericksburg. So he made his debut on, I think it was Wednesday night last week in Fredericksburg. He has pitched in the FCL in the Complex League for the Nats a couple times since they acquired him in the Juan Soto deal. But this was his first start in full season ball. And I was able to drive down 95. Took me about an hour and 30 minutes to go see the Fred Nats. And my goodness, was it worth it. So a couple of things. For those of you that don't remember, this is the 18-year-old who they acquired in the Soto deal who is listed at 6'6 and 235. He looks like a massive big league starting pitcher. I would say he already looks like a big league starter, but there are very few big league starters that are as big as this guy. He is huge, and he's thick, and he's put together. I mean, it's NFL tackle kind of frame, legitimately. I mean, he is he's a really, really big human being as a teenager. It's the easiest velocity for triple digits that I've probably ever seen um, in that most of the guys who throw over 100 miles an hour professionally, big leagues or minor leagues, most of them are relievers. It's max effort, and it looks that way. Like, they're fighting. They're, they're scratching. They're clawing. They're digging for everything they got, and they're, they know they're only going to throw for an inning at a time, right? So they blow it out, yeah? And they're throwing 100, 102 miles an hour or whatever maxed out. Yarlin Susana sits at 100 miles an hour. For the first two innings of his start in Fredericksburg, Danny, he sat at 101. And when we say sit, that means what he's pitching, yep. just about pitch to pitch, is 101 miles an hour. When we say pops or bumps, you know that is what he's topping out at is another way to say that. He popped 103. It was the first time in my entire life that I have seen anyone throw a 103-mile-an-hour fastball. And it was legit. On the scoreboard in Fredericksburg, if you were there, you may have seen that it said 105 on his fastest pitch. The scoreboard was a little over a mile per hour hot. Uh, maybe one point something. I know this because I was sitting right behind the screen and I had the access by just looking over at some TrackMan data that one of the, the team people had that was there and I was just kind of eavesdropping, hopefully, uh, not being a pain in the butt you know, from a few seats away. But his fastest fastball was 103 and he touched 102 several times and he was 101 is kind of where he was sitting. What blew me away in addition to how hard he was throwing. Because, again, I've never seen that before in my life, Danny. What, what do you think is the hardest fastball you've ever seen in person? If you had to rack your brain. <sighs> you ever seen anyone throw 103? I've seen – I know I've seen north of 100. Um, some some random guys. Like, uh, I was trying to remember it, actually. I think, you've seen Chapman in person? Maybe you've seen 101? Yeah, we've, I've seen Chapman in person. Um, Duran from the Minnesota Twins, reliever, big nasty. You've seen I, him in person? Yeah. He, when, did I, what, when would I have seen him? Though, did they play here? I know this is a terrible me trying to remember stuff, and yeah, I'm sure but, it's wildly entertaining. But yeah, I, but I, I, um, 
uh, the St. Louis Cardinals when they came. We didn't see Jordan oh, Hicks, uh, but we saw Jordan Helsey. Hicks. Yeah, so we didn't see Hicks. He was hurt when they came last throws time. 100. But Ryan Helsey, they're one of their relievers. Throws one north guy of that people listening may have seen do this would have been Felix Bautista, the Orioles' new closer. Yes, up in up ninety five and battle. That guy's filthy. Been to an Orioles game. He touched one hundred three this week. But I mean, we're talking about how many people on the planet do you think touch one hundred three right now? Less than ten. Significantly less than ten. Six, seven guys. Like you had, on yeah, Earth, with on this, seven billion on this people. Earth, right? I mean, it's like it's Hunter Green's doing it now until he gets a little wear and tear on his arm. Chapman isn't doing it anymore. I wonder it, what Green's fastest fastball this year is. I got it at one hundred two, according to what I've looked so, up. Here. So he hasn't even touched. I mean, one hundred three is like it, it sounds funny to say one mile per hour, but that is its own group. Like that's a class. That kid at Tennessee, Ben Joyce. Ben Joyce. Ben Joyce touches one hundred three. Uh, he supposedly got clocked closer to 105, didn't he? Yes. Um, this year in a game. But again, what, what do all these guys have in common? Bautista, closer, Joyce, reliever. You re- mentioned the two guys with the Cardinals. This is a starting pitcher. Yeah. A starter who's doing this over a couple of innings and, and sustained his velocity at 101 for a few innings. Now, he did not sustain over 100 for all five, uh, you know, over the, the – I should – he didn't throw five innings, but the duration of the time that I saw him, he pitched – Parts of four innings. And his last fastball was around 95. I think he kind of took some off. But for the most part, he was down around 96, 97 at the end of the start. So he'll he'll have to learn either how to sustain some of the velocity or just bring it down a little bit so that he has more in the tank as he goes on. Um, I was really impressed that the A-ball hitters that he was facing were getting the barrel to it occasionally. The only run he gave up was on a solo homer. He threw 100, and it went out, I think, at 103 or 104. Can you imagine? Exit velo. Uh, but he gave up six hits, a lot of weaker contact in there, three strikeouts and a walk. But the last thing I want to say about Susana is the slider was inconsistent, I would say. He threw some really good ones, and that's what I saw, fastball slider change. He threw one changeup. May have thrown another, but there was one that I noticed, and it was, I've told you this already, sick. I mean, it was like a, even me, I'm not a scout. Like, I don't pretend to be a scout or anything, but you noticed that it was a changeup because it was slower, and it Faded, it dropped. It almost had like a curveball vibe to it. I mean, it was really incredible. So it cut, it went no, away. No, 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 it didn't actually move horizontally much. It was more of like a Steven Strasburg fade. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Where it kind of falls off the table, and there's probably some horizontal movement to mm-hmm. it. But my point is, juxtaposed to the fastballs that look like they're rising in the strike zone and are just humming in at 102, 103, then you can see he like chokes it back, and this changeup comes at you, tumbling. It was. Plus, plus, plus. I mean, it was amazing. And I was sitting near someone with the Nationals, and I I looked over. I said, that was a changeup. He goes, that was a really good changeup. And I'm like, yeah, that was. (laughs) I mean, we were both kind of like wide-eyed, like, oh, my gosh. That's exciting. So it's it's fascinating to me. And forgive me, forgive a little bit of nerdery here for a second. But when same same phenomenon with splitters and a really good changeup can get this way, especially we know so much more now about grips and kind of the way things go. If your grip, if you got big old octopus tentacles for fingers, you can master some of these grips, and these things can really fly out of your hand pretty easily. Um, what's happening is you still throw it hard if it looks right. If you slow down, you cheat it. Major league hitters can figure it out, and they'll like spin your on arm it. speed. In other words, should be identical. If your arm speed is the same, for a guy with an easy delivery, it probably does look the same. Again, that's the that's the that's the beauty of it. Guys that don't have good ones, you know, if you your max effort to throw your ninety five, and then you slow everything down, and it's it, better hitters, it's obvious they can see it, recognize it more easily. But if you have this nice, easy motion, it comes out a different way. What's happening is you lower your RPMs. You The grip takes away some of the spin. 
So all that's happening is the natural movement of what the ball should do. Gravity takes over. Wind resistance takes over. The ball's got less resistance, so it's going to dive. And the ones guys that can do it really, really well with a splitter, it's not a top spin thing as, as a common misconception. All that's happening is gravity's winning and, and wind is winning. So a, a really good changeup that just doesn't interact as well as like a four-seam fastball that carries and rides, it can look like it's sprinting downward where all that's happening is the normal course of what a ball would do. Like think of a, if you shoot a bullet out of a gun, eventually it's going to fade and and kind of you know bow down to the ground. Well, then do it with a bow and arrow. It's eventually going to fade and go down to the ground. You do it with a, with a baseball. No one can throw it 500 feet. You throw it on a line, and eventually it's just going to whittle down. When it's spinning less, it doesn't have the carry. And so when you see it dive like that, that's an optical illusion that hitters can never get over. One thing I, I want to point out is it is not a deceptive delivery in any way. Like, you kind of see his hand. It's like a here it is. Time. Yeah. yeah. Now, as funny as this sounds, I mean, he, he's throwing 102 miles an hour, so you're probably going to be okay. There's some margin for error there. But I still think the Nats will probably, as he climbs the ladder, try to add something you don't have to add funk. You don't want to mess with an arm, obviously, but something that helps him maybe just come from an angle or hide something a little bit better because mm-hmm. you can kind of see it the whole way. And even in that game, I saw that when I mean, these were A-ball hitters that were starting to time it up some where they were putting the barrel on the ball. Occasionally, some weak contact that was a hit for the six hits in the, the three and the third innings. Like I said, there was a home run. There were a couple of well-struck balls um, in there, but what a absolutely just impressive profile yeah. I mean it's uh, you just salivate over the potential I mean there are a few guys in the minor leagues total that throw as hard with some secondary stuff as this person maybe tops and uh, and I texted someone with the Nats after I saw him and I said I've never quite seen anything like that that it's amazing that he was the fifth guy in the deal and their response to me was he wasn't the fifth guy in the deal and I loved that Yep. You know, my, the point being, like, he's the guy that you didn't know about. You know what I mean? Like, right. You, you, not professional scout. You, yeah, yeah. You know about Robert Hassel, who's an A-ball and was a top 20 pick. You know about James Wood, who was in the mix to go at the top of the board last year and has been the talk of A-ball this year. You know, you know about Mackenzie Gore because he was great in April and May in the big leagues. And you know about C.J. Abrams because he's been playing in San Diego. You didn't know about Yarlan Susana. But we did. You know, that he's not the fifth guy in our mm-hmm. deal. Like, we were getting that guy, or we weren't trading Juan Soto. So I loved that. Yeah, it's easy to dream. I mean, that profile just doesn't come along. I, I mean, we, we talk about this all the time. Now, the 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 physical knowledge that we impart to kids. I mean, it used to be like dads out in the little league field going, "Get your elbow up!" Like nobody knew anything, right? And now, professional coaching happens at a younger and younger and younger age, and just the, the data is more infinite. So these guys are grown. Every once in a while, though, a generation has a freak. There's some dudes that would be that w- could play 100 years ago, could play 50 years ago, and could play today. If Ken Griffey Jr. was coming up, that guy would be a major leaguer and be, he'd be awesome. Sometimes they're just dudes like this, where God touched your right arm and said, "You'll throw harder than anybody ever has." You, 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 giant human being will have aptitude at this. Like that's not any kind of scientific building. We we haven't done any rhapsody type stuff yet. We haven't mastered all kinds of delivery mechanics and things. He can throw strikes at that size. Repeatable delivery, scouts lose their minds uh, hoping to find one of these guys every thirty years. And it's a lottery ticket. That's you know, what it is. Yeah, you, you throw that hard, you know, you're inevitably probably going to have some arm issue, and that's why you, you prioritize bats over arms generally at this point, knowing what we know. But I mean, it's it's really impressive, and it's easy to dream 
on what he might be. Um, but check him out. I mean, Fredericksburg's really good, by the way. They're making a playoff push. They're right now leading their division, and they got a chance to make the playoffs, and I think that's a part of why they're keeping, like, Will Frizzell down there, who's hit three homers, one off a position player. Uh, this weekend is just mashing, and everyone's thinking, he's 23, he should be an A-plus ball. But the, the fact is, I mean, his development is not overly critical to the org. I think they maybe view him more as an org guy, so you keep him in Fredericksburg and try to win those games and, and, and help yourself have the best chance to make the playoffs for the prospects that really matter. Uh, like James Wood, by the way, who I saw that night again, and my God, I mean, James Wood looks like he should be playing small forward for the Phoenix Suns or something. He is so athletic and so big. He's just so huge. And I thought he was kind of thicker than he is. He he He's 6'7", and he, he's kind of lanky is not the right word, but, I mean, he's going to add weight and muscle and fill out his frame. I posted a video on Instagram. You could go check out Grant H. Paulson uh, is my Instagram, Grant H. Paulson. And it's him. I think it's like 22 strides from home plate to the second base bag. That's so ridiculous. And that's with him like for the first 40 feet, basically, not trying. Like, he wasn't running, really. And it was like, oh, this is a single. And so he's just kind of trotting down to first, and then he sees that he's got a chance to turn a true single into a hustle double, and he loses his helmet Bryce Harper style and slides in safe. Uh, He doubled a couple times in that game. Then the next night he doubled twice again, and he had four hits. He has been sensational since coming over. Played decent in center, made a nice running catch. Just a really good athlete. Looks stolen, part. stolen four bags. Now, big picture, long term, I do not care about how many bases he steals. Yeah, what we're talking, he's going to be a corner outfielder with his bombs. And and sign me up immediately, please. Right. Where do I, you, you need some blood? I'll sign it in, in in that. Here's why I bring it up, though. It speaks to what you're talking about. You can't steal bags at that size without having twitch, without having aptitude, without having some know how, without having some let's get going quickly. Usually, guys that are that big, it's like start. Here I go, and now maybe they're starting to run full speed. That's not it's not a it's not a sixty yard dash. This isn't you're going pole to pole here. You're not chasing down a fly ball. You've got a microsecond to get up to full speed and get down in in line. The fact that he can do that tells you what kind of athlete we're talking about here. Man, is he special? That that's the kind of again that's similar to Susanna like that we're talking about. They just don't make people like this. They don't make dudes that are this big, this strong at that age that are this fast well, and, and this athletic. And in all honesty, I mean, it's been rare over the years that that athletes of his caliber choose baseball, right? Yeah, I mean, a, seriously, it's, it's a great football, point. football, it's basketball, there's other sports. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's cool. But he's Paul George's size, exactly. basically. Yeah, you know? legit. And and he was a basketball star. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could have stayed at uh, St. John's College High and gotten a D1 scholarship and be going the basketball route. But he chose baseball. Uh, We can get into Patrick Corbin later in the week, next pod maybe, uh, who was decent in his last start and has been better since his little mini respite, which is a good sign. That's not to say, by the way, that we're ever going to do the is Patrick Corbin back thing. I'm literally not going to do that again. He's he's not back. I mean, he's just (laughs) – he is having a good run, and that's good because it's it's watchable and you can continue to have him in your rotation. But real quick, I wanted to shout out Joey Manessis. 28 hits in his first 22 Major League Baseball games the most by any rookie through their first 22 games in Nationals history, the 30-year-old rookie. All he's been wanting for the last seven years is an opportunity. Somebody give me a shot. I'll leave America if I have to to go play in another professional organization at the highest level 
in another country if you're not going to give me a chance. Someone just let me try it out. 28 for his first 84, hitting 333 with a 954 OPS for Joey Manessis. He can hit. Now, I'm not predicting he does a whole season where he's hitting 333 and gets 28 hits in every 22 games he plays. He could probably hit 275 or 280 in the big leagues in a season. He can can hit at this level. The the problem is he's not a – defensively, he's not going to be probably even average anywhere. He's more of a DH, and he might have like 20 homer power. I mean, there's just not – I don't know what the upside is there, but – we don't need to debate that now. It's it's a cool story. Yeah, it's it's a it reminds me of Yadiel Hernandez a couple years ago, where you go, I know this isn't that exciting. The ceiling isn't really that high, but every time this guy plays, he seems to put the barrel in the baseball, and that's kind of the point. That's kind of what we're looking for here. Short of a better option, there aren't many better options right now. You could do a lot worse than have that guy in your lineup most days because he's going to put bat on ball. He absolutely will. All right, let's bring in producer Darius. Somebody said something nice about go. us, I was told. So we're nice going to read their comment and shout them out. Yeah. Who you, is it? Who said it? Gotta love when somebody says something nice. We have a five-star review here, gentlemen. Let's go. That's from, the most stars you can have. That's the most you can have from Mo Patios. Mo. Mo. And let's, Mo. Uh, let's, uh, let's chant for Mo. All right. Mo, Mo Patios. Mo Patios. What? Mo Patios. There's no way we're saying his name right. That's the best Mo Patios. Mo. Let's try that one just in case. Mo Patios. Mo Patios. And we'll try one more just in case. Mo Patios. Mo Patios. Mo Patios. That's what happens. We'll more potatoes. That's what you have to do. Uh, Mo, Mo says a must listen. Must listen. Let's go. For any serious fan of DC baseball. Thank you, Mo. Appreciate Mo. it. We thank you, Mo. And in case his name is Potatoes. Mo, Mo potatoes. potatoes. Mo Potatoes. Now I'm hungry all of a sudden. I would yeah, love some potatoes. some potatoes. That'd be great. Uh, we're doing it again on Thursday. It's Bustin' Loose Baseball. We love you all. You can follow us on Twitter at Grand H. Paulson at Funny Danny. I'm on Instagram at Grand H. Paulson. Danny is at Humorous Danny. Darius, shout out your handle. At the underscore game 836. At a boy. Thanks for listening. Bustin' Loose Baseball back in just a couple of days.